Welcome back to the Chris Gates Fitness Podcast. Thank you so much for joining me today. As always on the episode, uh, I'm super excited to dive into another Q and A. It's been a little while since we've done a Q and A on the podcast, and uh, you know we took a little bit of, of a break from Q and As, listener Q and As, uh, in order to dive into some topics in a bit more depth. We talked a lot uh, over the last month or so about everything you need to know about macronutrients, uh, everything you need to know about recovering from your workouts. That was a part two series. Uh, And so now we're going to dive back into some listener Q&A, some questions that you all have submitted. And uh, I'm super excited to to do that today because we have a bunch of really good questions. I'll run you through the six questions I'm going to answer on today's episode. These uh, questions are ones that I got across social media. Uh, Primarily, I got these questions from both my Instagram account and my Twitter account, but really, wherever you are on social media, if you're not following me, uh, look me up. I'm Chris Gates Fitness. Uh, That's all you got to do is go to the search uh, tab, type in Chris Gates Fitness, and you're going to find me uh, on every social media account, every social media platform that there is, it's pretty easy to find me there. And, uh, I will periodically put out, Hey, a call for questions. What's going on with you? Do you have fitness questions, questions about your workouts, exercises you should be doing, um, questions about how to set a goal or reach a goal, uh, questions about your diet, how to build your meals, how to hit your protein, how to do all these things. Uh, I love doing the Q and a episodes, uh, because it's me directly helping you. And, uh, Even if you weren't able to submit a question for this episode of the podcast, there may be one here that I'm going to dive into today that uh, you may have wondered about at least. And I think that that's really beneficial for everybody. So make sure you're following me on social media so that you can submit a question the next time I put out a call for questions. Um, And uh, yeah, these ones came from Instagram and Twitter, and I will run you through the six questions here before we get started. So question number one, how do I get more protein in my diet? I think that's a very common question that most people uh, ask themselves or wonder about, at least from time to time, right? Uh, Trying to get more protein in. We know how good it is for you, but how do you actually make that happen? Question number two, I'm currently in a cut. My chest is as strong as ever, but my legs feel so weak. What are your thoughts? So I'll dive into uh, talking about that topic of just like, what happens when you lose weight? What happens to your strength levels and you know your muscularity when you get in a calorie deficit and you start losing a considerable amount of body fat? Um, most people do notice some changes and, and we'll talk about what those are. Question number three, how to get better in my balance when doing unilateral exercises? So unilateral exercises are ones where you're doing like one limb at a time. Um, so you know a bilateral exercise would be if you're doing a row with two hands, A unilateral exercise would be doing a row with just your right arm and then just your left arm separately. So we'll talk about how to get better uh, with, with balance in terms of doing those exercises. Question number four, if I need to lift and do cardio, which should I do first? My goal is maintenance and staying lean. Uh, I think that's another one. People probably, you listening have probably wondered before, okay, I want to go in the gym. I'm going to do some cardio and lift weights, but which, which should I do first and why? So we'll talk about that. Question number five, how can I find the right balance between my workouts and responsibilities as a parent? Another one that I think is very topical, very common, very popular. Um, and, uh, you know, as a parent myself, I've definitely dealt with this struggle before I work with a lot of parents. So I think we'll be able to dive into some good t- details there. 
And then question number five, man, this one is uh, this one actually came from uh, a number of my clients. Uh, to be honest with you, I can't stop buying the wrong foods on DoorDash. What can I do to stop this? Uh, really, really interesting one to wrap up the Q and A today. So I'm pumped to dive into all of that in detail here. I just want to take a moment of your time, you know, in case you're new or if you haven't been listening in a while, just to remind you that uh, my name is Chris. I am an online fitness coach and I work with people all over the world to, you know, chase their fitness goals, build muscle, burn fat, develop healthy lifestyle habits, whatever the case may be. Uh, I put together customized, personalized programs for all my clients and then uh, support them every step of the way in achieving the goals that they have. So, um, you know, if that is something that sounds interesting to you or you want to learn more about it, there uh, is a link in the show notes of this episode to my coaching page, which you can click on, head over to my website. Uh, I actually just, uh, shot, edited, and produced myself, and then published uh, an overview video of my business, which is now on my coaching page, which I'm pretty proud of just from a production standpoint. But I think it's the the first time I've really been able to put all of like the really big benefits of online coaching in one place. Um, it's, it's barely over two minutes, but there's a lot of good information there. So if you haven't checked that out, uh, head over there, check it out. Just gives you some information on you know, how coaching works and and what we might be able to do to put a program together for you. Uh, But okay, other than that, let's dive into the Q&A for today. And like I said, question number one is, how do I get more protein in my diet? Protein is obviously super important for just about any type of health or fitness goal. Um, You know, if you want to learn a lot about protein, I talked a lot about protein in my episode on everything you need to know about macronutrients. Uh, so, you know, there's probably 15 to 20 minutes on everything you need to know about protein in that episode. That's, I think, three or four episodes uh, old now, but you can scroll back in the podcast feed and check that out. But, uh, you know, to summarize, just in case you're unfamiliar with protein, um, obviously, first and foremost, it is going to help your body from a recovery standpoint. So, you know, with any of my clients, when we're working on their program and talking about getting in enough protein, we're typically talking about, okay, I'm pushing them in the direction of eating more protein than they ever have before. Because quite frankly, most people just don't eat that much protein. Um, and, and I honestly see people on like both ends of the spectrum here. So there's a lot of people who eat very, very little. And that's probably the majority of people. Um, j- just because like, I don't know, how often do you sit down and and cook up uh, you know, a protein source to eat in your meal. Do you do that for breakfast and lunch and dinner and then find high protein snacks in between? Probably not. Most people don't. Um, so most people I think on the, are on the low end. There are also maybe a smaller percentage of people that are on the complete other end of the spectrum who eat just so much protein because they love meat, they love grilling, smoking, baking, whatever the case may be, and it's just a normal part of their life and their routine. And that's cool too. Um, but you know, normally, like I said, we're on the lower end and I'm trying to push people to eat more. Um, and so I get this question all the time about, okay, well, how, how do I get more protein in my diet? And, you know, this first answer may kind of seem like, well, okay, duh, but uh, honestly, what solves the problem for most people is increasing the size of the protein sources that are in your meals. And like, how do I get more protein in my diet? Well, I just told you it's to eat more protein, (laughs) you know, like that's um, not magic, 
and and it and like I said, it probably sounds super basic, but honestly, that solves it for a lot of people because. I think when when you try to eat protein, you'll be saying, okay, I'm going to get, you know, a couple ounces of chicken in my meal and protein tends to be filling. So it may be hard to eat more than two or three ounces of chicken in one meal. But, but honestly, if you just, if, you, if you're having like a chicken salad or if you're having a chicken sandwich or like um, you know, a burrito bowl with like ground beef in it or so, whatever the case may be, if you just put more of that protein source in that meal that's going to probably make it the easiest for you to get more protein in your diet because you're not going to have to add in two to three more meals throughout the day so that you're eating constantly and then you're having to do more meal prep to have those meals ready to go. You're also not going to have to like buy all these random weird high protein snacks that you've never heard of before. You don't even know if you're going to like them, but you're going to try them because you're trying to get in more protein. Like it, it makes it very simple to just, okay, with breakfast, what do you eat for breakfast to get protein in? Ah, uh, well, I do eggs for breakfast. Okay, how many eggs do you make? Ah, uh, well, I have two eggs and I have two pieces of toast and a piece of fruit. Okay, that's awesome. That's an unbelievable breakfast. But what if you did four eggs? Like, why are you only doing two eggs with your breakfast when you could do four? Uh, that will up the that'll double your protein for breakfast. Okay, lunch. What do you have for lunch? Well, I have a turkey sandwich with cheese and I have another piece of fruit and uh, a vegetable. Okay, again, that is an awesome lunch for you to have. But what if when you take and put turkey on the sandwich to start your day, you know, let's say you're prepping it to take to work with you, what if you put twice the amount of turkey on that sandwich? Then you get double the protein. It's super, super simple, right? If you're gonna have like grilled chicken breasts for dinner, well, have a breast and a half, have two breasts, you know, try to add more of that to your plate, make your protein source bigger. I know this sounds super, super basic. It doesn't sound like any type of expert advice, but, but honestly, I, I, this works all the time for the people that I work with. Um, another thing that kind of fits into this same discussion in terms of like increasing those protein sources is look at your diet, assuming you're tracking and you should be tracking, you know, if you're talking about, I want to get more protein in my diet, but you're not tracking your protein. Well, then how do you know whether or not you're getting the right amount in the first place? Um, but like assuming you're tracking, go into what you're tracking for your meals and see on a day-to-day -day basis where the largest amounts of protein are coming from. And this is normally what I do when I look at a client's nutrition. If we're having trouble getting in high protein on a daily basis. Uh, and so I'll go in there and look at like, okay, well, you got 30 grams of protein from this one meal. It was a prepackaged meal. Uh, or you got <clears throat> 40 grams of protein from this other meal where you could have added more food into it. Uh, that's normally what I'll do. And then we'll isolate the high protein things and see like, okay, what, what type of food was that? And I'm explaining all this to say like a lot of the time, what I will find is I mentioned a prepackaged meal. I'll find a lot of times if you're struggling to eat enough protein in your diet, you'll be getting high amounts of protein from something that's prepackaged. And because it's prepackaged, you're not able to add to the amount of protein because it's like a frozen lunch or a frozen dinner, or you bought it out at a restaurant and like you just get that serving and that's it. And that's not bad necessarily, but you could potentially change the nature of those meals that you're eating, perhaps 
probably do a little bit more work on the meal prep side of things to set you up to be able to scale these meals in whatever way is going to set you up for success the most. And normally when it comes to getting a high protein diet, eating enough protein consistently, um, the easiest way to do that involves a little bit of work on your end, and that is meal planning and meal prepping. Um, so if you're not getting enough protein in your diet, but you're also not cooking your own foods, that's another thing for you to really narrow in on and think more about because, you know, an easy thing that I do every week is uh, I will uh, will go we go to Costco every two weeks or so. We buy up a bunch of chicken breasts, we throw them in the freezer, and then, at the beginning of the week, I'll take like two or three packs of those chicken breasts out. I'll let them thaw. When they're thawed, I'll put them in the oven, cook them for 20 minutes with a little bit of seasoning, and then put them right in the fridge. And then I have like six, seven, eight chicken breasts that are ready in the fridge. They will last me for six or seven days, and I can pick at those as I need to throughout the week. And And that's awesome because then I'm able to look at the next day and say, okay, what does my day look like? What do my meals look like? And okay, maybe you got a, a, a big day full of meetings. You're going to have time to eat lunch, but not much time outside of that to get much food in. Well, then we need to maximize that lunch. That's, that's easy, right? We know we need to maximize your lunch and then you can take from the protein that you've already meal prepped and prepared. It's in your fridge ready to go. And you can serve out more of that for yourself for that lunch. Again, we're talking about getting more protein in the meals that you're already eating, but this prep aspect of things is really, really important. And, uh, you know, I think like there's nothing wrong with putting in a little bit of extra effort to the meals that you're making and like your own nutrition. If you really want to make sustainable change with your diet, um, Part of that is probably going to be adjusting your habits. In fact, I say part of that is probably, part of that is going to be adjusting your habits. And one habit that I think everybody should have that's a very healthy habit is regularly prepping some food that is going to build your body up, that's going to support the goals that you have that are you know whole and nutritious. Uh, and, and this is a great example of why doing that can make your journey easier over time because you're kind of eliminating a lot of the guesswork. You're basically answering this question for yourself. How do I get more protein in my diet? Well, if you're prepping protein, you don't have to ask that question anymore because you have it. It's ready. And then you just need to set up the meals for yourself. Meal prep each week doesn't have to be more than an hour. It tops two hours across the entire week, and you can really easily set yourself up for success. Um, and I mean, you can do it while you're like watching TV. It's not that hard. So I, that's a, a long way of saying uh, get more protein in the meals that you're already eating. Uh, outside of that, there are ways to dress up different meals uh, or snacks to add just a little bit of like trace protein here or there. So, you know, outside of the main protein sources, there are things that have protein in them that aren't like chicken or beef. Um, you know, beans, certain vegetables, rice has a little bit of protein in it. Uh, cheeses typically have a decent amount of protein in them. And those can all be different things that you complement the meals. But again, we're talking about building your own meals. I think building your own meals is the easiest way to get more protein in your diet. Um, and then there's a lot of snacks. And I feel like I've talked about these a lot on the podcast before. But, um, you know, things like Greek yogurt and cottage cheese and uh, like vegetables like edamame, like there's a lot of really tasty. I even have, I think I have an article on my website about high protein snacks. Um, 
there's a lot of them out there that are, uh, you know, really tasty and they don't involve any prep at all. Like you buy Greek yogurt, it's ready to go for whenever you want to eat it. Um, it, 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 those types of things help fill in the gaps. So maybe if you're trying to eat, like I, I get 180 grams of protein a day, maybe I get 150 based on my meals, then to fill the gap of the last 30, I can have a protein shake at some point and then I'll have Greek yogurt as late night snack and voila, I've hit my protein for the day. So those are some other options, but I think primarily it's getting more protein in, in the meals that you're already eating, trying to change the composition of those meals so that you're not eating super processed or already prepackaged stuff and actually putting the work in to build your own meals and do the meal prep, figure out how to build your body up with quality nutrition in ways that you enjoy. And if you do that, your diet is going to be easy for the rest of your life because you put in some necessary groundwork here to know how to do this forever. All right, question number two. I'm currently in a cut. My chest is as strong as ever, but my legs feel so weak. What are your thoughts? Uh, great question. And it's funny because this is actually kind of the opposite of what happens to me when I go into a cut. Um, it's always been the case with me when I go into a cut where, uh, after I lose like 15 ish pounds, I'll start to notice my pressing strength start to fall off a cliff. And actually in my most recent cut, this didn't happen, but, um, it, it normally does. It's pretty pronounced where like my pushing, my pressing strength is the first thing to go. Um, and in this case, this person, the question they asked is basically the opposite. It's like my chest, my pressing is strong, but my legs feel weak. And that's another common one. And I don't think it's anything to necessarily freak out about. Um, this is something that happens to, to basically everybody. And it, it's hard to know exactly what type of uh, imbalances you're going to experience as you lose more weight, as you lose more body fat. But if you think about biomechanically, the way that we work, um, you know, you were lifting and you were at a high, higher body weight. You probably had a, a significant amount of additional body fat on your frame. Not saying that's a bad thing, uh, but, it, but that was probably the case since you're in a cut and you've lost body fat. And as you lose body fat, your leverages change. And so even if you look at like step back and look at your skeleton, like do you have longer legs and then you do like, is your lower body a larger portion of your body than your upper body or vice versa? Um, and like, okay, do you have, uh, when you look at your thigh as compared to the lower part of your leg, which one is one bigger than the other? And like all of those different, uh, those different levers in the body, all the different joints, you know, as you were lifting at a higher body weight, you essentially had, uh, you had different leverage, leverages because there was more cushion around those joints because you had more body fat on your frame, which could have made it in this case, when you're squatting down for your, for your lower body strength, if you had more weight on your lower body and you had more of that cushion, it may have been easier for you to squat down and then spring back up out of a squat. Um, but now that you've lost a lot of weight, perhaps you've lost a lot of body fat in your lower body things will inherently be different as you lift at a lower body weight. So I always tell people, if you notice this type of imbalance or you notice these types of things happening to you when you're cutting, don't 
take it as like, you need to drastically change something. This is very, very normal. The way that this happens for each individual person is individual. It's different. So this is the case for you. And what I would say is continue doing what you're doing, because if this has been a successful cut for you, uh, you should keep doing it as long as you want to, to, to reach the goal that you have, as long as you feel good. And you'll probably have to adjust some of your lower body training. And now this gets into the second uh, dynamic here in terms of cutting and programming out your workouts and whatnot. Uh, what I might do in this case is look at your overall workout program and think about, do I have a lot of highly fatiguing exercises in my program as it relates to the lower body? Because uh, you know there are exercises that are inherently more fatiguing than others. A barbell squat is going to be significantly more fatiguing than a seated leg extension, but both of them primarily target your quads in most cases. So like, can you make some exercise variation changes to limit the amount of overall systemic fatigue that you're placing on your body? And does that then perhaps increase the way that you feel about your lower body and help you continue to train hard? Um, You know, that's especially with lower body, in the case of this question, oftentimes a lot of the lower body lifts or at least the bread and butter ones that get you the biggest return on investment are relatively fatiguing. You're talking about squats, deadlifts, that type, like, you know, like leg presses, those types of, of exercises can be highly fatiguing because they involve multiple joints. They involve a lot of the musculature in your body. Um, if you're talking about a squat, you're training your lower body primarily, but like you're balancing that bar at the top of your body. So there's so much of your muscle musculature that's involved in stabilizing the weight to begin with to then allow you to squat. If you're deadlifting, I mean, that's head to toe, challenging basically every muscle in your body, uh, at least, you know, specifically in the posterior chain. So that would be the other thing I would look at. And, and obviously I don't know the nature of your training program, but look at, you know, okay, if, if, if your chest, if you're pressing strength feels so much higher than your lower body strength, how fatiguing are the exercises for both of those? For your chest, are you just are you doing like dumbbell presses and cable crossovers? Uh, whereas with with legs, you're doing barbell squats and barbell deadlifts. If that's the case, th- then that's probably we're probably looking at the answer right there. It's like, well, you're you're just doing very highly fatiguing work for your lower body. Whereas with your upper body, it's not as fatiguing. And normally, the deeper you get into a cut, the more 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 careful you need to be about those types of decisions in terms of the fatigue cost of an exercise that you're doing and how it's going to set you up for success so that you can continue cutting and continue losing body fat and continue training. Cause you want to train, you want to maximize the amount of muscle mass you can keep while losing as much body fat as possible. So at some point you need to factor fatigue into the discussion. So those are the two things really that come to mind for me. Number one, this is natural. It's going to happen to everybody in, in different ways based on your biomechanics. Uh, and number two, think about the fatigue that you're placing on the different muscle groups that you're training. And are there some tweaks there that you can make that may set you up for another month of cutting uh, where you feel like you're getting more overall strength development throughout the entire process? Question number three, how to get better in my balance when doing unilateral exercises? So let's redefine unilateral. I know I mentioned that at the beginning of the episode, but uh, it's been a little while. So unilateral exercises are exercises where you're training 
basically one side of your body at a time. So the left side and then the right side or the right side and then the left side. So if there's, you know, if you're doing like a, a, a seated, a one arm seated cable row, which is a unilateral exercise because you're going to row with one arm by itself and then row with the other arm by itself. If you're doing three sets of eight to 10 on a one arm cable row, you would do eight to 10 reps with the one side before than doing eight to 10 reps with the other side, the other arm. Um, And this could be the same with lower body training where let's say you're doing like lunges, you're doing step back lunges, three sets of eight to 10. Well, you would do eight to 10 reps, potentially depending on how how you choose to do it. You could do eight to 10 reps on the left side, take a short break, then do eight to 10 reps on the right side. And that would round out one set of those three sets of eight to 10. Uh, so it's doing one side, you know, at a time and giving it that direct attention. Um, so how to get better in my balance when doing those? Uh, it's an interesting question because I'm going to guess from this that we're talking about lower body training, like unilateral lower body training. Cause that typically tends to be where we're talking about balance the most, right? If you're trying to do, uh, like a single leg, Romanian deadlift or a step back lunge or a forward lunge, a split squat, something like that tends to be where you run into the most balance issues. Um, And the first thing I would say is don't be afraid to get used to the exercise and the movement pattern by giving yourself some assistance. I do that all the time when I program things for my clients. I'll say like, okay, we're going to do a reverse lunge but what I want you to do is hold one dumbbell in in one hand and then hold onto a chair or the wall for balance with your other hand. That's perfectly fine to do. You could still add weight to the exercise, but you're doing it safely. Um, and then as you get more used to that movement pattern, then you can experiment with doing it without any type of assistance. So don't be afraid to do that. There's nothing wrong with providing yourself with assistance. Uh, and in a lot of cases, I think, it's necessary when I started like, okay, so Bulgarian split squats are a great example because the Bulgarian split squat squats, you may have also heard this referred to as a rear foot elevated split squat. It's the one where you put one foot back behind you where it's set up on typically like a, a bench and then your other foot goes out in front of you and you're squatting down and up with that back foot elevated on the bench behind you. Um, and uh, those are uh, when I started doing those. I remember very vividly that I really struggled with balance. And what helped me was I actually started doing it next to a squat rack. And what I would do is hold on to the one, you know, bar of the squat rack, one of the, the pillars going up. I would hold on to one of the bars on the squat rack with one hand, hold a dumbbell in my other hand, and do it. And I got really good at it. I built up, built up more strength for that movement and in my quads so that I was then able to move to doing it without assistance. So there's nothing wrong with doing that at all. And even with upper body exercises, like if you struggle with balance to do unilateral upper body exercises, you can provide assistance too. So that example I gave of a, of a seated row, a one arm seated cable row that I was talking about, you could instead do that with a chest support. So instead of sitting at the machine with no support at all, other than your feet out in front of you, you could do a chest supported one arm uh, seated row 
where you take like an adjustable bench, you put it up in front of the cable machine and you're sitting with your chest in the bench and then you can row with one arm at a time. But you know, the last thing I'll say that is probably going to be just as, if not more impactful than anything I've mentioned to answer this question so far is bracing. So do not forget that in almost every exercise, almost every instance of every exercise, you should be bracing, actively bracing your core while you're doing the exercise. So for those lower body examples of like a Bulgarian split squat or a reverse lunge, while you're doing that, you should have a tight core. You should be thinking about bracing your core because that is something that can greatly improve your balance in an instant just by doing that. If you think about like what bracing your core does, a lot of people give the example of like the soda can. A soda can, when you have not yet popped the top open, it's impossible for you to grab that soda can and crush it with your hand, right? Um, And that is essentially what we're talking about when you have a braced core. If you take a breath in, flex your abs, brace your core, what you're essentially doing is making your torso just like that soda can where you've got a lot of intra-abdominal pressure, you're squeezing your abs and everything about your torso is then gonna be kind of locked into place and braced and protected. But if you're not doing that, it's like the soda can that gets popped open. So if you pop open a soda can and then go to crush it, it's unbelievably easy. You crush it, all the liquid comes out and the can is ruined. If you're doing Bulgarian split squats and you're not actively bracing your core, you're going to be training your legs while at the same time your upper body's just probably going to be moving all over the place because you're not doing anything with your upper body to actually stabilize it. So, you know, regardless of whether you're doing upper body training or lower body training, your core should be braced because stabilizing your upper body for any exercise uh, is unbelievably important. That helps stabilize your spine. It helps keep everything kind of in line in the way that it should be. And it will actually allow you to, to better target the muscle that you're trying to target. So that I kind of left it for last, but I think it's probably most important and that's a great place to start. And then also, again, don't be afraid to provide yourself with some assistance if, uh, if you need it. But those are uh, the, the main things that come to mind. And I would really like to get an update after you try some of these things to hear if it helped improve uh, your balance when doing unilateral exercises. Question number four, if I need to lift and do cardio, which should I do first? My goal is maintenance and staying lean. Uh, Really good question. I think this is, like I said before, something that everybody probably thinks about at some point in time. And um, my general recommendation in most cases is to lift weights before you do cardio. And that is because just from like a body composition standpoint, if you're giving all of your energy or all of your best energy and going into lifting when you're freshest, if you're doing that, uh, you're going to allow yourself to get the best possible performance with your strength training. And when you have the best possible performance with your strength training, it tends to help you retain as much muscle mass as possible. And, uh, you know, in terms of staying lean, uh, I think most of the time when people want to be lean, they want to be lean and muscular. Like you don't want to be lean by losing all of the muscle mass or muscle tone that you have. You typically want to uh, maintain all that muscle mass and 
have as little body fat as possible. Like that's just what most people want. So I think in this situation of maintenance, I would encourage you to lift weights first and then do cardio second because cardio is kind of mindless. It doesn't involve a lot of like mental energy to do it most of the time. It doesn't involve a lot of crazy skill or technique if you're getting on the treadmill to walk or if you're hopping on a spin bike or even if you're going outside for a run like there's not it's not a highly technical thing to do uh while uh, on the flip side lifting it can be and, and it typically is if you're doing compound exercises where you really need to be able to focus on doing the exercise the right way focus on getting your muscles to activate in the way that you want to potentially lift pretty heavy weight you need to be fresh mentally to do that so i think in most cases like i said i would encourage you to do lifting before you do cardio the only way or the only reason that would probably tend to direct me in the other direction and tell you to do cardio first is if as part of your goal to be to maintain and stay lean, um, your primary goal is some type of endurance sport. So if you are run, trying to train for marathons, uh, or you know if you're a swimmer, or if you're a cyclist, and and you know cardio, the endurance sport is the primary thing you need to be primed for. Uh, then I would say, okay, well, then we're, we actually are talking about a skill. Then we are talking about your skill because that's your sport, because that's the thing that you need to maximize your performance with. Um, so that's a little bit different than talking about just like, this is the way I want my body to look. That, so body composition as it relates to goals in term, as compared to a sport-specific goal Obviously, we're talking about different things there, but I get the impression this is not about a sport-specific uh, situation. This is just like, hey, this is the way I want to look. What would you recommend I do? And in this situation, I would say lift first, do cardio second, and that should help you as long as your diet is then in line with the goals that you have. It should help you maintain and stay lean. Okay, question number five. How can I find the right balance between my workouts and my responsibilities as a parent? Uh, really good question. One that... I'm I'm finding more and more is uh, relevant with uh, the the people that I work with with a lot of my clients. We're actually just coming off the time of year here where like the uh, the spring push, the the end of a lot of like spring activities as it relates to school uh, have come to an end. But man, in in the month of May and even into the beginning of June for a little while. I had a lot of clients running all over the place constantly because they had kids. They had like two to three kids and two to three different activities and they got to take them all these places and also at the same time work a job and then try to find time to hit their workouts. So it's a lot. We're coming off maybe the busiest time of year for parents that there is. Um, and uh, it's it's a challenge and, and there's no one right answer for everybody. Obviously, everybody's situation is going to be different depending on what phase of life you're in as a parent. But in general, the, the one piece of advice I want to give here as an answer uh, is to just understand that in order for you to hit your workouts, your workout program needs to be logical, if that, if that makes sense. Uh, it doesn't make any sense to me at all if you have basically the responsibilities that I just described where you're running all over the place trying to do get your kids to the places they need to be. You're spending eight hours a day at work and then you're trying to find 
time for workouts like five days a week. That's ridiculous. That makes no sense to me. You have to understand understand that throughout the year, the year goes in waves, especially as a parent. There's going to be times a year where it, things get more challenging and then times a year where things back off and you have more freedom. And, and, and really what you need to do is understand that your workout plan probably needs to and should change with those different phases of the year. And actually, I use the word phase with my clients to describe their four-week blocks of training because that's what they are. It's like, this is the phase of training based on the phase of life that you're in right now. This is gonna make the most sense. And if you've got a ton of stuff going on right now, it's silly of you to think that you're gonna be able to work out five days a week, six days a week. It just it, it, You're setting yourself up for failure. Um, man, what's the quote? I know I'm gonna botch it here, but there's a quote that I've heard from time to time where it's basically like um, being, or what is it, doing the right things most of the time is exponentially better than trying to be perfect and having that last for two weeks. I mean, that's it, it, just the, the fact of the matter. You can work out five to six times a week with all that other stuff for like two weeks, but it's gonna fall apart because you're running yourself into the ground you're not setting yourself for up for any type of consistency or sustainable success. Um, so when you have phases throughout the year like that as a parent where so many things are going on, you have to understand when to scale things back. When we had uh, our second daughter at the beginning of 2022, um, I actually hired a coach to do my my programming, to do, do my workout programs because I knew that I would have trouble answering this question for myself. What's the right balance? Now we have two kids at home. Uh, you know, this is all brand new. There's going to be more responsibilities, more stuff going on. What do I do? And so my coach back then made a really smart choice. We did three days a week and I did that for, I think two months. And then as things eased up a little bit, went to four days a week and then did that for another, I think four to five months. And then I felt like, okay, you know what? I'm comfortable with doing my own programming again. I took it on myself and I've been doing somewhere between four to five days a week since then. Uh, we have another child uh, coming here in a few months and I'm already, I'm preparing to do my own programming this time around, but I'm already like looking back on that experience, seeing how beneficial that was because there were so many things happening at once. And I'm planning to do the same thing. I'm going to scale things back. I'm going to scale things back. You can still make a lot of progress by only training three days a week. And if you can actually make that happen and do it consistent, consistently, you'll make exponentially more progress long-term than you would if you tried to shove five to six days of workouts into your week on top of everything else that's going on and then burn out after two weeks because then you'll quit and then you'll stop training, you'll stop doing your workouts and then you won't make any progress at all or you'll see your progress go backwards. That makes no sense, right? So it's really uh, about taking a step back and taking a realistic view of what you've got going on. And so like for those clients that I work with that had that very, very busy period of time, I kept telling them like maintenance in this situation is progress. If you're able to maintain the progress you've made, that is an unbelievable win. Because in the past, when you've run into this situation before, you haven't really been able to maintain your progress, or perhaps you've even seen your progress go in the other direction. So if we can scale back from four to five days a week and go to two to three, 
but you can hit all those workouts while you're doing all this other stuff, that's a huge win. And then we will be able to scale it back up when things calm back down. So it's really being able to make those calls. And, and honestly, I think like that's one of the biggest values that I've given to those folks that I work with is being able to be that like neutral third party and say, this is going to be best for you. So let's scale things back. I will take like all of that guesswork off of your plate and let me handle things. I'll tell you how much you need to work out each week. It's not going to be five to six days. We're going to do like three and it's all going to work out. You're going to continue making progress and then we'll scale things back up when it makes more sense. So, um, you know, that, that's something where if you, if, if you really need help to balance the, the, find the balance between working out and being a parent, hiring a coach can be, uh, yeah, it can be a really big benefit. Um, so, you know, uh, again, there's a, there's a link to my coaching page if you want to check that out, but that, that's something that can be really, really helpful. But in the end, you, you got to understand that scaling things back is not going to ruin your progress. It's actually probably going to maximize it. Okay. Last but not least, this is maybe my favorite question of the entire Q and a, uh, question number six, I can't stop buying the wrong foods on DoorDash. What can I do to stop this? Uh, and it's funny I just talked about this on another podcast, a podcast I do called The Brunch Breakdown, and I, I want to talk about it here because if you just look at the food availability that we have these days, I don't, I personally don't think it's something that is, should be part of the human experience. Let's put it that way. I don't think it should. I don't think it's good that it's so easy for people to get quite literally any food you could ever imagine delivered to your doorstep with three taps of your thumb. I just don't, I don't think that that's natural or normal or necessary. And, you know, if you look at a lot of uh, the obesity research and like, okay, why, why do we have the problems that we have with being so overweight in the United States and really in the world? Why is the world so overweight? Uh, part of it, and I'm saying this is all of it, but part of it is food environment. And the food environment basically everywhere is you cannot go anywhere without having food shoved in your face. It's unbelievable. Why can I go to Home Depot and pick up six pieces of plywood, four two by fours, and an economy bag of Sour Patch Kids? Like, why is that? <laughs> why is that the case? You cannot walk in any store, regardless of like the main reason the store is there. You cannot go in any store without also seeing food. It, it's crazy. Um, I think my mom, my mom used to have a, a store. It was like a sewing based store. And I think she had little chocolates at the, the checkout at the cash register like that, that you know, like it's everywhere. Um, and I'm not saying, Hey mom, not blaming you for that. Okay. Everybody does it. But like, this is, this is the food environment that we live in. You can literally access food anywhere and that that was anywhere to begin with. Five to 10 years ago, that was the case. You could get food in any store. And now it has taken another step forward where you can just press a couple buttons on your phone and somebody you don't know, a complete stranger, will bring food to your doorstep. And I'll be honest, I've done it. We did it a bit during the height of the COVID pandemic. Um, but I don't have these apps on my phone uh, because I don't think that... I, I don't I wouldn't trust myself with these apps. So maybe one of the best things you can do to stop buying the wrong foods on DoorDash is to 
not download the app. Or if you have downloaded the app, get the app off your phone and don't download it again. Um, yeah, I mean, it's just, I don't, even if you, so if you go back five to 10 years ago when these apps didn't exist, we had food still everywhere in every store. If you go back even further and like actually not that long ago, but if you go back 40 or 50 years ago, think about how much more work you had to put in to just like eat dinner as compared to now. You can go on DoorDash now. You could get takeout delivered to your house. You could, uh, you know, there's so many things in the grocery store now that you can buy that only take three minutes in the microwave to heat up and eat. Um, It's so, so, so easy to eat more and more and more food than it ever has been. I just don't think that that is, again, natural. I don't think it's something that should probably be part of the human experience And um, I do think it's a major reason why we have so many problems in in, in the world with obesity, Um, and it's a shame. And so I'm not... (laughs) I'm not blaming the obesity epidemic on DoorDash, but it's just like one of the factors that lead to it being so easy to eat more and more and more food. Um, but at the end of the day, like there's no there's no magic trick to this, okay? Uh, anybody that wants to do anything from a body weight perspective, if you want to lose weight, if you want to build muscle, if you want to just nat- naturally get healthier, you have to put in some work. And as part of that work is accepting personal responsibility for the food that you're eating. And if you're going on DoorDash and you're constantly ordering the cheeseburger with fries that runs 1,500 calories per meal, when there are also a million options on that app where you could choose something more whole and nutritious, you have to make different choices. I mean, that's really what it comes down to. And the cool thing is most of the menus from most of the restaurants on DoorDash or any other food delivery app, um, they're going to provide you with that opportunity, okay? You can, instead of the side of fries, get a side salad or get a fruit cup or something like that. Instead of the the, the burger with red meat, red meat is typically fattier, it's gonna run you more calories. Uh, instead of that, you could get the grilled chicken sandwich, which, hey, it also tastes really good. It actually also tastes really good, but because it's lean lean chicken breast, it's going to be naturally, inherently lower in calories. Like there are little things you can do to reduce the calories of the meals that you're eating. But again, at the end of the day, you got to accept that personal responsibility and actually put forth the behaviors that you're saying that you want. You model the behavior that you say you want to have. You have to do that. Um, And it could be just deleting the app and then not re-downloading the app after you delete it. Delete it and and don't re-download it. Um, That's all I got for that one. But uh, it gave me an opportunity to talk about just, I mean, I can't help but laugh at it. It's ridiculous. Why can I buy those foods at Home Depot? Who's, who? Like, where was the demand for that in the first place? Were people going into Home Depot and saying like, you know, this is great that I can get all this stuff for my house, but it would also be really nice if I could do some grocery shopping while, while I was here. Like who, <laughs> it just drives, drives me crazy with some of this stuff. Uh, and uh, yeah, and the Home Depot I go to is right next to a grocery store anyway. So just buy the right foods. Anyway, uh, I hope this Q&A was helpful. I did have fun putting it together for you. And like I said at the beginning, if you're not following me on social media, make sure you do Chris Gates Fitness. Look me up, you find me everywhere. Um, these episodes for the podcast, go on every podcast platform that there is. uh, And they also go on YouTube as video episodes. So on my website, 
uh, click on podcast and you'll find all the links to all the places that you can find this podcast is to subscribe. And if you like this episode, you found it helpful, you found it entertaining, you agreed with anything that I said, uh, and you have a minute, can you please leave a five-star rating and review if you can? That would be awesome. It would be helpful. I think I'm told that that helps get the podcast in front of people. I don't really know how it works, but uh, if you could do it, I would appreciate it. And uh, yeah, thank you so much for listening. I'm looking forward to diving into another episode soon. Uh, But until then, talk to you soon.